Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 79 with my friend, Amanda. You guys, I am so excited to be here talking to you uh, and be able to share this interview with you. I got to sit down with Amanda and Amanda used to be a school teacher and during the pandemic lost that position and she speaks very openly about her struggles with motherhood and uh, with her family, which obviously if anyone's ever listened to this show, you know, I can relate to that. So this is a great interview. I'm super excited that you're here and tuning in and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So without further ado, here's my friend, Amanda. You and I have lots in common. Yeah, uh, full disclosure, I was super nervous about this. Why? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, I am too, but I would expect you to not be because you do it a lot. Yeah, but uh, I mean, when was the last time you and me were hanging out one-on-one? <laughs> like a long-ass time ago. <laughs> like 15, 20 years ago? Well, yeah. Yeah. That's so it's that's just uh it's funny. I was like, oh, it's crazy. So this this is the funny part because I usually start out with how I know people. I'm gonna get this right. We met through Chris, my our, our mutual friend Chris, because you guys all worked at Fye together. Uh huh. Is that correct? Yep. And then we dated for a summer. Yep. <laughs> yep. And that was 20 years. Well, ago. it was a little bit more than a summer too, because I remember. I remember like yeah, coming to see you after because you had already graduated and yeah. I was a senior. So I remember coming to see you after school, like you were still sleeping, oh, and yeah. I was getting out of school. Oh yeah, and I would come to see you, and I'd be like, "Get your ass out of bed!" It's like three o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. And then, yeah, because then I I remember your graduation because mm-hmm. I have a very specific memory of your dad like handing me something while we were driving like next to each other he reached his hand out the window and then i reached my hand out the window and grabbed it it was like an envelope or something um (laughs) that sounds about right but yeah uh and then we we've kept in contact for like on and off for the last 20 years Mm -hmm. and and here we are yeah uh but so well because holly and chris dated for a lot longer than you and i dated and he was your best friend she was my best friend so like it just worked we were just (laughs) Always in the same. Yeah, you knew me during some of my worst times. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, I mean, I guess you could say the same for me. Perfect. Yeah. Fair, fair then. Yeah. Um, but jumping back in time. Yeah. Before I knew you, uh, you have a sister. Yep. She's how much younger than you? Three years. Okay. Yeah. Same as my brother. Almost me. to the day. Yeah. Um, and were you born in Holly? Like born and raised Holly? So my dad lives in Waterford. Yeah. He lives in the same house that I was brought home to as a baby. Oh, okay. When I was born, it was like officially Pontiac, but then gotcha. like borders and whatever changed and now it's Waterford. But uh, I lived in that house until I was in third grade and that's when my parents got divorced. And then I moved to Madison Heights for a year with my grandparents. And then I moved to Holly where I grew grew up. What was life like before third grade? Was that nine? Nine years old? Yep. What was life like before nine years old? I don't remember a lot of it, to be honest with you, and I don't know why. I've yeah. It's like little blips, yeah. right? And I remember it being happy, right? I remember, like, playing outside a lot. Did you get along with your sister when you were younger? Like, that young? I think so. 
I don't. I yeah. like honestly oh, don't good. have a lot of memories. It's weird. Um, I know that I I heard stories that when she came home, I was like, "This is my baby. This is my baby," and I would like sit in front of her and not let the adults touch her. I'd get like very upset if someone wanted to like pick her up or she's mine. Um, I. I remember like we had we shared a room when we lived at my at my dad's house. Now my dad's house, it was our house then. Yeah. But uh we sh- we had it was a three bedroom house. We shared a room to sleep in and then we had a toy room. Nice. So we were like together a lot. There's like lots of pictures of us like, you know, being sisters. Being sisters, being <laughs> yeah. cute. Uh and I don't I my I have very few memories of being in that house. Like pre-divorce. Yeah, it's like little blips. Like I, I, I remember like putting on. We had a, like a fireplace with yeah. like a stone, like surround, and like it was a an iron fireplace, which is very weird. And it had like this little platform on the front of it. Okay. And we didn't use it. Like the chimney wasn't functioning and my dad never cleaned it. So we never used it as a fireplace, but it was all we used it as a stage when we were kids. So I nice. remember like <laughs> like little things like standing on the fireplace and like singing a song for the adults and like putting on a show or yeah. like playing outside. But there's like a lot of blur of from who, what was before the divorce and after the divorce because my dad stayed in that house and we'd go yeah, visit. Yeah, so that's got to create a little, yeah, confusion when you're trying to remember stuff. Yeah. What uh, what was the divorce like? Was it like... Real shitty. Yeah. Was it... Uh, so I'm wondering, because I, I don't remember a lot. I don't, I, I don't know if I remember anything like pre-divorce, but I was like four or five. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, being older, was it like shitty? So that might be why you don't remember a lot of stuff there. Maybe it might. Maybe you know the brain does crazy things. So sure does. it might have been. <laughs> I do remember one day. Like I don't remember anything happening, and this it's very weird. But pre-divorce, I was in the living room, and I remember my mom yelling from the bedroom, "Call the police!" Oh, wonderful! And so I called the police. And I remember just like picking up the phone and calling 911 and Hey guys. You know, it's just like my mom told me to call you. This is my address. And then I remember the police showing up and then nothing ever happened after that. Like I don't know if I experienced anything and my brain is shutting it out yeah, and I'm yeah. not allowed to have that memory or if like I I just was not my mom was like I have a very strained relationship with my mother, and there's like a lot to unpack there, and we could sit yeah. here literally all day and still not get through everything. So I don't know if like she was being like manipulative and over dramatic, or if my dad was doing something that like warranted calling the police. Like I yeah. have no idea. Yeah. So I remember that the divorce part was real shitty. Um, to my parents' credit, and I can't give them a lot of credit for a lot of things. To be totally honest, they kept me and my sister out of most all of it that's good which was good because we were little yeah um but the way it happened really sucked like my aunts showed up one morning when my dad was up north in january and cleared cleared us out like my dad came home from essentially went up snowmobiling with his buddies came home and his kids and wife were gone that's crazy yeah that's a that's a rude awakening to come home to yeah so um, so what, 
you said you went to live then with your mom. Is that how the custody worked out? Did it turn into like a, a typical 80s, 90s divorce where your dad got you like every other weekend or something? Yep. Every other weekend and two weeks in the summer, alternating holidays. Um, lived with my mom. How, yeah, how was that? How many times did you move? I moved. We moved in with my grandparents and then in Holly. So twice. Oh, okay. Um, and those were pretty fast. Like we only lived in Medicine Heights for like a year and a half. How was that like as a kid and your social life and stuff, having to go to two new schools in like a three-year period? I I mean, when you're a kid, you're resilient. Kids like other kids, right? Um, and I was young enough to where it was okay. I think if I had been a little bit older, like if I was middle school age, it would have been more difficult. Yeah. But elementary school kids typically just like it just hit the ground running. Um, so I don't remember the social life aspect of it being exceptionally difficult um i i transitioned well to school and i liked living with my grandparents so that part wasn't hard it was hard to not see my dad though like yeah. i've always been a daddy's girl and that was really difficult i bet yeah um getting to holly you're it's just you and your sister and your mom then no so while i was living with my grandparents my mom was dating Dave, who would later become my stepdad, who was um, not my favorite person. Um, and thinking back on it now, like in retrospect, it's like my mom was definitely dating Dave before my mom and dad separated because they built a house together in the span of the time that... Um, we were living at my grandparents. So we moved into a brand new house with my mom gotcha. and Dave. That's the house I met you in? Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're in Holly. You're about to go into junior high, which is typically like the worst time for most people. Yeah. <laughs> um, you have a, a stepdad now. Mm -hmm. I mean, what does is, what is all that look like? And are you still getting along with your sister at that point? Uh, well, Dave was a terrible person. Um, and we didn't like him and there was like a lot of, like we would go visit him at his house while we were living with my grandparents and there was a, like a lot of stuff. Like we had a dog named Snowball, who was like the best dog in the whole world, um, at my dad's house and my mom took the dog, but we couldn't have the dog at my grandparents cause my grandparents had a dog. They didn't get along, blah, blah, blah. It was a small house. So Dave kept the dog at his house while we were living at my grandparents' house, right? So we'd go visit Dave on the weekends, and it was just, like, very... We didn't like him. He wasn't very kid-friendly. And there were, like, little glimpses of what an asshole he was. Like, I remember him, like, kicking my dog one day. Jesus. Yeah. And I can't remember why. It was at his house. Um, but he was, like, obviously, like, didn't like something the dog did. So she, he kicked her. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so little things like that, and we didn't like him. So moving into Holly was really devastating and really hard because neither one of us liked him. And my mom um, didn't like that we didn't like him. Like, we weren't giving him a chance and all of this. Um, there was a lot of guilt put on us for, like, not accepting this loving family and beautiful new home that she was providing for us, yeah. which it was anything but like, whatever. Um, so that was a really difficult transition. Um, me and my sister 
still got along. We didn't start not getting along until she got a little bit older. And uh, I was more of what she would consider a nerd. (laughs) And uh, she was like the cool kid, right? Did you feel like a protector role over your sister when you guys were there? You know, what's interesting, too. Um, I had a lot of conversations with my... So there's a lot of shit in, like, my family history that I've been unpacking with my therapist yeah. over the past year. I can relate to that. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, like sexual abuse stuff, physical abuse, um, emotional abuse, whatever you want to call it. And yeah. one of the things that we've talked about, because my relationship with my sister is nearly non-existent. And a lot of the times when we talk about why I'm not, I don't talk to my mom, why I um, am so upset with my mom, She, my sister will have conversations and I'll be like, don't you remember like A, B and C? And she'll be like, no, but it wasn't like that. And so we, we have very different memories and talking to my therapist, she was like, well, you may have both experienced those things differently. One thing that she explained is that, that, that I was protecting my sister. So my sister didn't feel the brunt of what was going on. Like a resiliency factor in her trauma. And nobody was protecting me. So I actually do remember things differently than she does. Um, And that's been kind of a strange thing to think about because we we have for years and years and years been getting into arguments about whether or not her version of things or my version of things is the real version of things. Yeah. I get into those arguments with my mother. Because she's like, I'm the adult. I remember how it went. And I was like, that's not a qualifying factor. Yeah. Um, and then I, I had branch off on myself for a minute. But no, I, I, <laughs> no, did, I did EMDR last year. Do you know what that is? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had like a bunch of EMDR sessions, which were absolutely amazing and life changing. But one of them, I realized that I was so mad at my brother because I never grieved the loss of the brother I had up until he was like 10. Because he used to be, like, my protector. Like, when we'd visit my dad, he was like, don't worry, I got you. And, like, and then he, like, kind of became an asshole. Yeah. And uh, and I still associated those two people as the same person. Because physically, in reality, like, they're the right, same right, person. Right. But Wow, um, I wonder if there's some kind of <laughs> shit like aliens? that going on with my no, sister. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yes. But, well, so I realized, like, in that moment, like, I had to process the grief of, like, essentially losing my brother. Yeah. Um, at a young age. And once I did that, like I felt so much more peace around our relationship. But it's it's been great in how much it affects me. Uh, yeah. So it, it was really it was really interesting because I would have never, ever, ever put that together. It's like because it's weird, right? You Like the person's still alive. Why do my why am I grieving them? Like right. that doesn't make any sense. Uh, and I, I never thought about it. And like when I did an EMDR to like think about all these positive memories my brother I was like oh yeah like we did get like there was a huge chunk right. where we we got along um it's just it's crazy to think about I wonder if there's because my aunts my mom has three sisters and they tell me all the time that when I was young when I was little my mom was a fabulous mother she was like very interested very involved yeah. very caring very just like nurturing and then they noticed a switch when she started dating Dave. And so I'm, I wonder if they're, if, because 
I do have little blips of good memories with my mom. Like, I remember this is kind of gross, but like, I remember like my mom waking up and like sitting on the toilet and like, like toddlers do just like barging in on her and like she would give me a hug. I remember going to the beach with her. I remember her like getting me dressed for like Mickey Mouse Club mouser size at six o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Um, And and just like little things like that. But like there was none of that after the divorce. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a... It's that a, makes a lot of sense. It's a strange thing. I've div... I've divin? That's a word. I've, I dove, <laughs> like, deep into um, into kind of grief processing during yeah. all of this because I didn't understand at the beginning of the pandemic that, like, we were all experiencing grief because yeah. we were all experiencing loss of, like, everyday life, loss of, like, seeing friends. And, and I was like, oh, that's grief. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it took like my therapist drilling that into my head over and over again. I was like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I was able to like open my mind to like perceiving other things in that way. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's it's just weird. It's crazy. Uh, anyway, rant over. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to travel down nerddom as you as your sister called it, because um, uh, you were yeah. you were in band. Yeah. <laughs> when did you get into band? I did it. I started right in sixth grade. Like I remember in fifth grade, they were like, "The band teacher is gonna come over and see if anyone wants to do band yeah, next did year." You, so did you? Come, did someone come to your house? <sighs> Nobody came oh, to like, my house. Okay. They did like pull out sessions in our classroom. So like the the teacher okay. came over, and if you were interested, you'd go talk to them. They'd be like, "What do you want to play?" And I remember. I was like, I want to play violin. And he was like, well, we don't have an orchestra. We have a band. And I was like, I don't know that. No string instruments, lady. So he was like, why don't you play clarinet? And I was like, I don't know what that is, but okay. Yeah. Um, so that's when I started. Yeah. I did it right right away. And what else were you doing? Like socially with your friends, extracurricular stuff when you were... I did all of the things. Like, <laughs> well, so, okay, this is kind of one of the things that separated me from my sister and our like our goal was to not be at home. I don't know what her thinking and motivation in that was. Um, if she just like wanted to be with her friends and wanted to be, you know, doing the popular thing or whatever. But for me, it was like, I hate being at home. Um, and my brain was like, if I do all of these things at school, if I get like hyper involved, my mom can't tell me no. She can tell me that I can't go hang out with like Vanessa or whatever yeah. on the weekend. But she can't tell me like, I can't go to band practice. Yeah. She can't tell me that I can't go to this National Honor Society meeting, right? So yeah. I was like, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up, sign me up. Um, and most of those things were not athletic because I was not an athletic child. Like I tried to play soccer a couple times and I was like, oh, this running sucks. So uh, that didn't didn't work out. But all of the clubs, I just like signed myself up for everything and that kept me out of the house a lot. So I did band um, and then in high school that turned into marching band too. Um, and I did National Honor Society, National Art Honor Society. I was class president all throughout high school. I did student council. I did Spanish club. Like I did all of the busy. things. I was very busy. Um, and that way I could just like had always had an excuse to not be at, yeah. at home. It's a protection method. Yeah. Like that's literally everything behind me. I was, I, I didn't like school. I didn't like home. So I would just like go in my imagination and play yeah. my freaking action figures and shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> so did that, but did that, I'm guessing that ended up having pretty substantial benefits just being that involved and, and I mean, you're class president, so academically, I'm assuming that worked out. I did. Degree. I did okay academically. I got straight A. I remember my first like 
not A. I was in fourth grade and I got an A minus and I can't remember what. Fourth grade? They fourth gave grade. grade letters. Oh my God. I remember getting an A minus and grade. being completely devastated. <laughs> but it was maybe the best thing to happen to me because like then nothing bad happened after that. Like I was still, like I was fine in school. Like the world didn't end. Like I was able to do other things. So, um, in middle school and high school, I got good grades, but I I wasn't like straight A student. Yeah. And it, sophomore year, somewhere in there, it was like, I remember I got a D in tenth grade trigonometry. I was like two years advanced in tenth math. Tenth grade trigonometry. Yeah, yeah. Lady, I got, I got three associates degrees. I've never taken a trigonometry <laughs> course. I'm about to start a master's <laughs> program, and I have no intentions of taking. Trigonometry right, right, right. Course. No, I'm not a math person, but I got a D, and it was because I didn't do the homework. I was like fuck math and fuck this triangle (laughs) like this is stupid and uh, I remember going in after school and begging my my teacher to pass me on to like the next math I was like please like I can do this and he made me take a test and I passed the test and he was like fine you can do it like he was like nearing the end of his career that was like back when it didn't really fucking matter he was like (laughs) I want you out of my like in retrospect he was probably like get the fuck out of my classroom yes you can do pre-calc or whatever the next step was um so like I got good grades but not always and um staying involved was just kind of like it kept me out of the house but it also like I met my best friends doing those things so I think it really like I met Holly in band and yeah. Holly's my best friend in the whole world still like a million years later yeah. um what does that look like though um I mean does it create any sort of stress or anxiety having that many things going on like especially towards the end of high school and like I'm guessing college is somewhere on your radar like, do you remember it all? Were you feeling stressed out at all about all that stuff? Or was it just no. like... No, it felt normal. And I think that not now... Yeah. And I'm just thinking about this now because you <laughs> asked this question. So I don't know if I can articulate it exactly how it feels. But um, if I don't have a million things going on, things something feels wrong. Yeah. Like, I don't do well when there's just nothing. So... Something to look into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's been really hard, especially the last year and a half, because I lost my job at the beginning, not the beginning of the pandemic. It was like a few months in. Um, But not having a job and not being able to do anything, not being able to go anywhere, it's just felt really wrong. And any period in my life where I've had sort of a lull, where there's not a million things to do... um, has just felt very uncomfortable for me and very wrong. So back then it didn't really feel stressful. It just felt normal. Um, It it felt like maybe I was trying to avoid thinking about my feelings, Um, but it felt productive. It felt good to like just be able to like do a lot of things. Do you feel uncomfortable being like present? Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so when I started therapy, yeah. my therapist would do, she practices like attachment therapy. Yeah. And at the beginning of our sessions, she would just have me be present. She, We would just literally like sit there and she would just have me sit, essentially like try and meditate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was the fucking worst. 
I very uncomfortable, not very able to do it very well. Um, I could only really do it if I focused on something that was happening, right? So like a sound, and I would focus on the sound. Um, I hate to break it to you, but that's meditation. <laughs> but but it was like this conscious conscious effort to like, okay, what is that sound? Where is it coming from? How loud is it? Like, I I wasn't able yeah. to just like be. I had to like focus on something. Yeah. Very uncomfortable. Um, yeah, and and I mean, I'm gonna jump to a billion conclusions, but I'm not going to <laughs> just because that that need to always be busy. I imagine just like fast forwarding a bunch. I imagine having two or three kids in the house at all times has at least given you that like something is constantly going on vibe. Uh yeah. I mean, if you mean like. The toddlers dumping a plant on the floor at all times or something like that. Yes. There's yeah. always something to focus on and always something. And that's something, too, that I've worked with my therapist is like, she's like, how can you take a minute and just like be present in the midst of the chaos? Yeah. And I almost like I re- like my body sort of rejects that mm-hmm. idea. Like, I don't want to do that. And I know that it's healthy to do that. I yeah. know that like for your mental well-being, you should do that. But my body gets very uncomfortable. Looks like muscle memory. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I shit. I uh, I do. I do the exact same thing. I was telling someone yesterday, like <laughs> uh, this, I do the same thing when I travel. Yeah. Like, I know I'm going to be in a hotel room by myself, or I know I'm going to be here for the weekend by myself. I'll go through the normal, like, checklist of, like, how fucked up I'm going to get. Like, how many inappropriate fucking text messages I'm going to send. Like, I, all the shit I used to do, it's still there. Yeah. And I'm not doing it, which is, like, good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's still there because that's... I did it for 20 years. Yeah. So, uh, and, like, and it was a, a protection thing. Like, I learned that I for most of my life like really fucking hated myself so i needed other people and things to tell me i was like worthy and good enough and so i plan on like seeking those things out and even though i don't need that anymore i still like run those motions in my in my head and it drives me fucking nuts but yeah uh you have to like literally retrain your brain and it's not it's not an overnight thing that's for sure yeah um but so i yeah i imagine trying to be comfortable with what you've been uncomfortable with for uh, your entire life is not something that you're going to be able to just flip a switch on regardless of the work you do. No. Um, so jumping back, sorry, yeah. I went forward. No, that's uh, okay. I never stick to a real timeline. That's okay. Uh, we'll fix it in post. Anything uh, <laughs> being linear anyway. That's not how our brains work. Yeah. So. See? Um, so we get to the end of high school. This is where I meet you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you are, because we haven't really talked about this, academics, I feel like we've touched on, but you're, you do a lot of art stuff, yeah. creative stuff. Yeah. Um, that seems like that's been a, an ongoing outlet that's kind of weaved into your life. Yeah. You're doing I, a lot of photography when I met you. Yeah. Super into photography. And that was because, so I've always been creative in that sense, but I've never been like exceptional, right? And so there's a part of that that kind of really like pulled on my self-confidence i guess imposter because syndrome. <laughs> imposter syndrome sort of but but i always really wanted to be an exceptional artist yeah. but i i'm just not naturally talented in that sense like i've always had to work really hard at it and so and i haven't 
This sounds so assholey, but like I haven't had to work that like academics. I could put forth a little bit of effort and do really, really well. Yeah. Like I only got those D's and C's when I was like really fucking trying not to get a good grade. Right. Like I was ignoring homework. I was blowing things off. It's always been almost effortless for me to do well academically. And art has always I've always been interested in it. It's always made me feel good, but I've had to try really hard to do well at it. Um, and so that made me feel, I don't know, like I sucked at it. Where does the narrative come from that you tell yourself that exceptional artists don't have to try hard? <laughs> I don't know. Because I'd wonder about that because that's one thing that I've really come to learn by interviewing people. Like I've interviewed people that have been like, you know, signed bands and stuff. Yeah. And in their mind, just like academics, they're like, I didn't do much, even though they just told me like, oh, I practiced with my band nine hours Saturday, nine hours Sunday every weekend for like, you know, four right. years. I'm like, right. that's a lot. Right. Um, and and the only people I feel like that are successful in art are people that really work hard at it. Right. And so I, I wonder where that narrative comes from, because I, I, don't, I don't know where people can like, yeah, sit down and like draw and maybe they're better at drawing than I am or something uh they're not gonna like make a month make money off that and like make a living off that unless they're right actually trying really hard at it so I don't that's know why I, I want to just push back on that narrative because I don't believe it's I don't believe that success in any art field comes without a lot of hard work right but in my in my like 16 17 18 year old brain it was like I want this to be as easy yeah. as like writing an essay is yeah. have you heard my albums yeah I know <laughs> I understand <laughs> so and and I think too I got a lot of praise for being a quote-unquote smart kid yeah like I'd come home with an A and it was like oh my god you're so smart good job um, and I didn't never, never really got like a lot of praise for art. Not that they, you said that it sucked, but it yeah. wasn't, it wasn't as much of a big deal for me to like take a great picture as it was for me to like get an A on something. Um, and so it was kind of like this, it, it wasn't like this overt sort of like one time sort of message. It was just like throughout the years the reaction to the academics versus the reaction to the art that i would do yeah. just kind of made me feel like i don't know that that not as not as validated with yeah. my ability to i don't know do that right? how do those how do those compliments hit now like if you're post something on instagram that you're like stitched or, or something like that and you get praise for that I reject. So this is something that I've talked with my therapist about kind of at length. Um, I reject praise. It makes praise in general, yeah. like whether it be on something that I made or something that I did professionally or the way that I look or anything makes me feel extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Like I immediately my I try to get myself out of that conversation. Like I don't want to go there. I don't want to have to react to that. I don't want to have to talk about it. I don't even want to have to say thank you. Like I just don't want it. I've gotten to thank you, but then I make a joke. <laughs> <laughs> right. So it's always like this. Um, like if if I stitch something and I post it for sale and someone's like, oh, that's really great. Like my husband's always like, oh, I couldn't do that. That's really awesome. I'm like, it's not that hard. <laughs> It's not that hard. Anybody can do it. Yeah. Like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, not allowing myself to accept that I've done something well. Yeah. And Which, I do that with all compliments. Well, and I imagine that 
was probably a roadblock in you doing something creatively when you were younger too. Um, but what is so? What does that look like? Getting getting out of high school, you have a lot of interest. Is college, you went to college right away, right? No, uh, I went to community college right away, but I didn't really have any direction. There was no like declared major, and I kind of like floundered a lot. I was went that to... a decision like forced, or did you apply to other places? Uh, it was a just a societal thing. Like my parents didn't really push me that hard to go to college. I think there was just always this understanding that like we're going to college. Like that was just our generation, right? Like yeah. that's what you did after high school. There was no question. It was just like everybody goes to college, so you go to college. Yeah. Um, I applied to a few places. I remember getting accepted to Middle Tennessee State University, and I really wanted to go into like sound engineering. Interesting. And. Um, why sound engineer? I don't know. I wanted to like work in the music industry. Yeah. And I didn't have, I mean, like I played clarinet and saxophone, but like, let's be honest, I'm not going anywhere with that. So uh, like I didn't learn how to play guitar. I can't sing, but I really wanted to be involved in the music industry. So I was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to work at a recording studio. Yeah. So I really wanted to do sound engineering and there wasn't a lot of. It was it was like the vehicle to that was college. I didn't understand this idea of like kind of getting in on the ground level and like working yeah. my way up. It was like, where do I go? So Middle Tennessee State University had a program. Not a lot of places did. And I got accepted. And the response from my parents was, how are we going to pay for out-of-state tuition? Student loans, baby. Well, and I was like... <laughs> Okay. Like that was the reaction. Not yeah. like congratulations, that would be a really cool thing. It was just like how are we going to pay for it? And that's kind of the attitude that my parents I've had from my parents my whole life. How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to pay for it? Yeah. And so I just ended up right after high school. I went to OCC, like a yeah. lot of people. Uh Amen. and then I went to Western cuz a lot of kids from my high school went to Western and I was yeah. like still stuck in this like I don't want to be in this college world. I want to be back where it was comfortable. So I just like followed and I was only there for a semester and then I came back and then I moved to Chicago and that's where I like kind of found people that weren't high school related. Yeah. yeah. And kind of found I don't want to say found myself because I, I that's dumb. Like we're constantly in this process of like yeah. getting to know ourselves. But, but like I felt more like me unattached to things from here, from home, yeah. from Holly. Well, that's where I, I feel like we reconnected when I moved back from L.A. Yeah. And I feel like we were in a similar spot where we both moved away mm -hmm. to different like states, cities, and they were big cities. So you yeah. like experience this culture shift that you've never had before. Yeah. You make friends in a place where you didn't previously know people. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're like, uh, I don't, unfortunately, not everybody gets to experience things like that. Yeah. Uh, and everybody should. Yeah. Like, absolutely. I think that that is more, more formative for me than going to college. Yeah. Specifically. Like, everybody should have to, like, <laughs> move to a place that's dramatically different from what they're used to growing up and be by themselves. Yeah. I, and I, I wonder the reason I ask about the college thing. I never really thought about this, like when I knew you at the time, because I was, I was like, that was not on my radar. But yeah. you had so much going on academically, like with the honor societies, with all your extracurricular stuff. And I know, like now, on a college application, that stuff is is gold, right? Yeah. So um, that's why I was I was curious what that looked like getting out of high school. If that was 
like important to you or not. And then did you go to school when you were in Chicago? Yeah, I went to Columbia College for oh. photography. That's where Chad went for like a year. Yeah, I went there for a year and then I left. Um, there was a lot of like trying things out and then deciding it wasn't for me during yeah. college, which was like very not recommended, very uh, <laughs> financially irresponsible, very expensive. Um, but yeah, I so when I, I left school, I didn't have stellar grades. I was like, I wasn't like in the top 10. I had like a 3.4 or something, which is like super whatever. I got into every college that I applied to. I wasn't trying to like go to Harvard or anything. Yeah. I just applied to like the state colleges and whatever. Um, but back then, uh, when we were applying to colleges, yeah, they liked that you were involved, but they wanted to know what your test scores looked like. Yeah. And my test scores were super average. Yeah. And um, so I got into college, but I wasn't like offered any scholarships. And yeah. like my parents made me feel like I should have done better to get a scholarship so that they didn't have to pay for college. So like there was a part of me that was like really I, I didn't get a lot of recognition for all of those things that I did. Yeah. Extracurricular um, things that I did. And that that made me feel. I don't know. Like inadequate. Yeah. yeah. Inadequate. Like not that it wasn't worth it because it was because it kept me out of the house, which is why I got involved in the first place. But like. I don't have a lot to show for it at the end of the experience. Yeah, I mean, I would I would argue that nobody in their 30s, I think, is looking back and being like, I'm so glad I did that National <laughs> Society. <laughs> I know. Um, but at the time, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, you made a lot of friends in those areas. and I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I... And a lot of the like great memories I have from high school are from either being involved in those things or with people that I was friends with because of those things. So, yeah. And they were all resiliency factors, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so think about what you would be now if you didn't have those I mean, things. I have... Oh, I don't want to think about that. Um, so you tell me about Chicago. Oh, man. I... Like, those are my <laughs> glory days. Like, I loved living in Chicago. I love the people that I met in Chicago. My whole experience there was uh, incredible. And I mean, like everybody talks about everything that you go through leads you up to where you are today. And I have like two beautiful boys and I'm married and everything's great. So I don't, I'm happy where I am today, but there's a big part of me that like regrets leaving Chicago because I loved being there. So I went there. Um, I wanted to go to Columbia College and I wanted to do photography. Like that was my thing. I was yeah. going to be a photographer. I was going to open up a print shop because back when I started, analog photography yeah. was still the primary. Like digital cameras existed, but they were very really? low quality. Yeah, they sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and so nobody was using them professionally. And I really loved being in a dark room. I did some of it at OCC. I really loved working with making prints. And so I was going to open a print house. I was going to, that was what I was going to do. That was my future. I was like super excited. So I started going to Columbia College, living in Chicago. Um, I lived with two of my friends. I was going to go to school there and they were going to come with me and it was going to be great. So we got this really great place in Chicago, moved to Chicago, go to school, get this job at a record store, which was like, my dream and that's i'd like to point out right that's the record store from high fidelity so yeah yes and no like it was filmed there but yeah. like not the same name yeah. but yes 
Hey guys, I know Sober October is technically over, but there is plenty of really great reasons to continue to drink those delicious non-alcoholic craft beers. Currently on my beers account at Beers and 90s on Instagram, I'm doing a giveaway of a bunch of different Oktoberfests, all non-alcoholic, and one of those is included is Bravis Brewing Oktoberfest. Uh, right on the heels of their seasonal release of peanut butter stout and their barrel-aged maple stout, all non-alcoholic, all delicious. You got to check them out, and you can save 10% on your first order by using code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout. So head over to bravis.com and use code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout to save 10%. Screw you, Sober October. We're here for Sober Novober. It works, right? All right. Enjoy the rest of the episode. It was it was just great. It was I was going to school for photography. I was working at a record store. I was like 20. You were living the 90s, 2000s movie dream. I literally was. <laughs> and I was, it was incredible. I loved it. I loved like riding the subway to work. Yeah. Well, it was I, the L, the L, the L train. train. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, going to school downtown, it was just great. Um, and then at some point while I was at school, it became very, very clear that the future of photography was in digital. And I took one digital photography class and I fucking hated it because it was just sitting in front of a computer and I didn't want to sit in front of a computer. I wanted to be working with film. I wanted to be in the dark room. I wanted to be messing around with all of the stuff that you mess around with in there. That's what made me tick. That's what made me happy. And so it was like, I'm spending all this money on a private art school education when like how much how many more years until this technology is obsolete yeah. and it's and it was like nobody you yeah, can't make it's money like in a film. cool vintage thing when yeah people use film <laughs> it's so weird so yeah so i dropped out and just like worked at the record store after the first year um and i mean i it was fun. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I turned 21. Um, my friend Shannon moved out to Chicago. We got a new house. Oh, the second place we lived was just kind of wild. But um, it was just, it was really fun. I was like working at a record store. I was 20 years old, 21 years old. And I was, I just loved it. I loved every second of it. What culminates in you moving back to Michigan? So my friend Shannon moved in in Chicago and she was a hairstylist when she moved to Chicago. And she was making money and it looked fun it was like artistic right it was still artistic and i knew i just knew that i couldn't do it and support myself in chicago so the plan was to move back home go to cosmetology school move right back to chicago and that didn't happen yeah yeah so you come home did you have a feeling of like defeat coming back home yeah moving back I mean, what what does that feel like? Because you moved back when with your dad, right? Mm-hmm. I moved back in with my dad. At the, when I moved back from Chicago, my mom and my stepdad were divorced. Okay, was so that they was got... that a great like? Did you celebrate that with great victory, or, or what did that look like? Yes and no. Um, the reason they got divorced is because he knocked her out, and Jesus. yeah, and the police came and he got arrested, and then there was this whole thing, and they got divorced. They're now back together and remarried, which is so fun. Um, but that there was like, yeah, 
There's like a lot of years. I'm going to wipe the shock off my face. I'm sorry. It's okay. Um, no, there's 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 so much. Like like we we could talk all day. There's we you know, like yeah. he's abusive physically and then my mom's got this whole thing with her dad that was like abusive and there's just like a lot of abuse in my past that led to a lot of stuff. But anyway, um, they got divorced. And during that, like, period of divorce was when I was like in and then back from Chicago. And so she lived on her own and didn't like, even if I wanted to live with her, yeah. which I, I wasn't even a thought, it was like, I'd rather be with my I'd always my whole life would have rather been with my dad. So I moved back in with my dad, I felt really defeated, like, when I came back home. Like I had uh, given up almost and really like just really sad. It was definitely the start of me getting really long bouts of depression. Like my depression, like sort of really showing up in a depression sort of way. Um, like you air quoted that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, like a lot of people don't even even now that we're like more open with mental health issues, people don't think of depression as being like like hyper involved in high school. So you don't have to think about yeah. all of the shit that oh, you're yeah. going through. Right. Yeah, it shows like, up in different ways for, right. for different people. Um, so it was like definitely there earlier. But at the, when I moved home, there was like the laying in bed yeah, and like feeling no... Uh, motivation to do anything at all yeah so it was really hard to come back home I moved in with my dad and I started dating this kid from high school and going to cosmetology school and while I was in cosmetology school nearing the end I moved in with my boyfriend at the time so I finished cosmetology school started working as an assistant and I hated it (laughs) What is the, what is the what is the job as an assistant? What does that mean? Sometimes you're an assistant to like a specific stylist. Sometimes you're an assistant to the whole salon. I was to the whole salon, and you're you're just assisting them, right? Yeah. So if they need you to shampoo a client, you do it. If they need you to blow dry someone's hair, you yeah. do it. You do the grunt work yes. of the salon, and then eventually, like you slowly start taking on your own clients, and then you get your chair. But the thing that bo- I still really and I still enjoyed doing hair, like if. Like the the actual act, it's very artistic to me in the same way that I enjoy any creative outlet, right? Like I like to draw, I like to paint, I like to do embroidery. uh, I like like all of these sort of like artsy fartsy craft stuff. I very much enjoy that. And hair was the same thing for me. It like felt the same doing it. It was the whole like being on and being like Little Miss Sunshine Uh, the whole time that I really hated and I was like going through a lot in my life that made me not want to be Little Miss Sunshine all day. Yeah. And so that that was really hard for me, and that's why I ended up not doing it. How yeah. how does your how does like the depression show up in that period? Both, I mean, it sounds like you described how it shows up at work. How yeah. does it show up like in your personal relationships? I don't really know. In my personal relationships, it was very much like a working out and eating nothing sort of thing like lots of body issues since i was little i was like a a fat kid when i was little amen (laughs) and like my mom my doctor told my mom not to let me have sugar 
So when I was young, this was like pre-divorce. So I remember like my mom would buy Kool-Aid and uh, there would be like Kool-Aid for my dad, which was like the sugar Kool-Aid and Kool-Aid for me, which was the sugar free Kool-Aid. And I remember going to birthday parties and I wasn't allowed to have like the dessert at a birthday party. Um, That's a bummer. Yeah. And it was never like a, a, like a, you're too fat so you can't eat this sort of thing. It was just like a, you're, that's not the way it was ever explained to me, but I was missing out on a lot of things that kids enjoy. Yeah. And so that has affected me into adulthood. So during that period in my life, it was more of like a being busy all the time sort of thing sort of manifested into like working out a lot, a lot and um, eating almost nothing. I was like, salads all the time it was just i would eat salad yeah just have salad just you always have salad um and i don't i don't know about my relationships like i made a whole through ben who was my boyfriend i was living with at the time i made a whole group of friends that would remain my group of friends for a very long time and so i was meeting a lot of new people and really putting on a show to like I wanted to be desirable in that way I needed friends right so I guess it sort of manifested in this the depression sort of manifested in this like must have friends must be worthy must must be thin must be like I don't know did that feel exhausting though Uh, because you mentioned like you're putting on a face at the salon yep and now you're you're telling me you you wanted to do that in social situations to kind of gain approval of new people yeah when when do you get to be amanda (laughs) like i don't know yeah i don't feel i don't feel like i ever gave myself the permission to be amanda until like like this year yesterday like no like literally this year yeah or maybe when i started teaching like the second year there was this like very I, I don't know. The, the, my first year of teaching, I t- really tried to emulate my the lady who was my cooperating te- cooperative teacher because she was such an exceptional teacher. But after that first year, it was like, I, I need this to be me, not her. Yeah. So that was, my fr- I think, my first real conscious, like, trying to be myself and not be anybody else or put on a show. Well, that's a, that's a good spot to transition to. Uh... Because then you go back to school eventually, right? Yeah. Uh, when does that happen? That happens like, I started thinking about going back to school for teaching while I was still working in the salon. Like okay. I I want, I, I kind of like toyed around with the idea of being a teacher, but everybody yeah, you hadn't was mentioned like, that with previous school ideas. So I was curious where no, that came from. Well, a lot of people, you know, society was just kind of like, Teachers don't make any money. It's true. There, and there was a surplus. <laughs> like right now, like the, they're talking about how we're, we have a teacher shortage. Nobody wants to be a teacher. But then there was like a surplus of teachers. So it was, it was like there was a lot of teachers. They don't make any money. They get treated like crap. Don't. So there were a lot of messages from society just saying like don't teach. Yeah. And at that point, I had gone to school for so many different things and tried so many different things that I was just like well, fuck everything else. Like I just, what I keep coming back to in my head is teaching. So I'm going to go to school to be a teacher. And at first I wanted to go to school to be an art teacher. 
And I was like, well, sc- think about high schools, right? You have one art teacher, yeah. and then you have like five or six English teachers or math teachers or social studies yeah. teachers. So um, I kind of quickly pivoted away from that art teacher. We don't need another situation. someone with an art history degree, I know. Amanda. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So, uh, um, so I went to OU, and I essentially finished two years of my bachelor's and then did a year of student teaching. Okay. Yeah, so it was like another three years once I started at OU. Gotcha. 2009 to 2012. Yeah. <laughs> I'm literally getting my bachelor's now, so don't worry about it. Hey. <laughs> so you're living with your boyfriend. You're mm-hmm. going to OCC, OU. Mm-hmm. Are you working at the salon still during all this? No. So I got fired Ooh. i got fired Did you go off on someone <laughs> because i had a bad attitude <laughs> which is such, like such literally a little punk rock kid the story of my life i get fired because of my attitude but also what's interesting about that is i got hired at the record store i was told later that i was because of your bad attitude so no well i mean i had a bad attitude there, there were people who were just i was like no yeah. i had no time for i was 20. Um, but I got hired, I was told later, because they liked my bubbly attitude. Yeah. Like I walked in and I was just like really friendly and yeah. I did these trial days and they were like, yeah, she's really friendly, really nice. So I don't know, a different time, different place, different. That's how I remember you at that age. Uh, just very laughy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, just kind of had a good time in most scenarios. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You do school. Yeah. What's, what, what's going on? During that time, I, I got hired at a um, tanning salon. Ooh. Yes, where I eventually became an assistant manager and was doing spray tans on people, Congratulations. which was very weird. <laughs> like, that is the weirdest job that I have had. Spraying naked people with yeah. some weird juice. But, like, not, <laughs> it's, yeah, I, it was people from all walks of life. Yeah. Um, you wake up in the middle of the night still with nightmares. <laughs> yeah. There was an old couple that was like going to Florida and I'm talking like 85 years old. Bummer. And that was, that sticks with me as like a very strange interaction. But, um, so I'm working at this tanning salon, uh, going through college. Um, Ben, my boyfriend at the time, he was incredible. He just like. He was like, yeah, if you want to go back to school, go back to school. And I was still like, you know, contributing what I could financially. But he just like picked up the rest. And he was just like very amazing and incredible and supportive. And I, you know, didn't deserve it because I wasn't, I mean, I was young. I wasn't a great girlfriend. Uh, And uh, yeah, so then I graduated and did the teaching thing. When do you get your first teaching job? Okay, so I did my... Student teaching at Clarkson High School, your alma mater. Um, And I loved it there. Like, I liked everything about being there. And I, when I graduated, I started subbing, and I subbed one day. And I think it was in Birmingham, maybe. I don't remember exactly where. But it was the only time I ever subbed at a school outside of Clarkson, and it was a traumatizing experience. It was horrible. Like, everything about it sucked. I didn't know where anything was. I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't, the sub plans were bad and vague and they didn't have a place for me to go. So I just had to like sit in the media center. It was just terrible. So after that terrible experience, I was like, okay, I'm only going to do Clarkston High School from now on. And I had enough teachers requesting me 
as their sub that I was able to work more or less full time for the next couple of years. That's got to feel super good to like be in demand in that way. Yeah, for sure. Um, They trusted me. And a big part of it, too, was just like I knew people. And like if something happened, I knew where like who to ask. It was just like I knew what it was like to be there. So I subbed on and off at Clarkston. I shouldn't say on and off, pretty on, but like sometimes more full-time than others um, for the next two years. And then a teacher retired and they were just like, do you want to work here? I was like, yep. And like, there was no interview. There was nothing. They just hired me because I had been there for so long and kind of shown what I can do. Um, and so that was my first like teaching job two years after I graduated. When do you, cause you moved down to Ferndale, right? Mm-hmm. I lived with a couple of friends and then I had like my first, before I got my full-time teaching job, really hard hit like bout of depression. I'm like months long of like laying in bed and like not doing anything. Um, and that led to moving back in with my mom, which was Oh, I don't know. You did that. Awful. Yeah. Okay. A really terrible, it was like a really terrible couple of years Yeah. Um, when I first like moved to Ferndale and then moved back. And was in- she with, uh, what's his name? Yes. So that. So yeah, they were back together and it was back into the house that I grew up in, Bummer. in Holly. Yeah. And it was awful. And my mom thought it was going to be this time of like reconnecting and getting to be like becoming best buddies. And that was not, it was just like a place to put my stuff while I got back on my feet for me. Um, That was a really, that was a really dark phase of my life. Yeah. I mean, you put yourself into the place that you (laughs) probably developed a lot of your trauma. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, with the people who caused all of the yeah. trauma. So um, that sucked. That was terrible. But then I, you know, I got a job waitressing and I was able to get back on my feet. And I got a place all by myself for the first time in my whole life. How which was that? Was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I think about that, that time in my life, like the same way I think about Chicago. Like it was, it, I want to go back to that. I want to go back to there. Just... I loved my apartment and I loved being by myself. Where was this at? In Ferndale. Okay. Um, in this really weird, like, from the outside, it looked like a mansion, like a big house, but it was like eight apartments, okay, eight, yeah. like, loft apartments. And it was so cool. It was, like, the coolest apartment. I was by myself. I was in Ferndale. The hippest place in Metro Detroit. It was super fun. Can we talk about being hip? Um, yeah. <laughs> so... Well, I spent my whole adulthood trying to be hip. Let's I, well, do that's, it. That's why it's funny to me. So... You've always, and I'm just wondering where that comes from, what role that plays in your life. Like when I met you, you were into, and I considered myself a pretty cool guy at the time when it came to music Mm because I was the punk rock kid all through high school, but you're into all these bands I never heard of. Um, (laughs) And like I drive around your car and listen to Saves the Day. Yeah. Which uh, it's funny because my playlist now is like Saves the Day and then like new Taylor Swift. And then it's just... But then you, and you go to Chicago, you work at this record store, like you've always been this no-name band fan, (laughs) Uh, which plays into like the, the quote unquote, like hipster scene of these small bands. You live in Ferndale where like the stuff, like that's the reason Ferndale exists. Yeah. Um, What, what role does that play in your life that like that style, that type of music like that? Cause that's, that's a 
that's a vibe, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, it is a vibe. And you, I feel like you've held on to that. I think we've gotten arguments about like static prevails versus clarity. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm just curious where that, like, what is that to you, and and how do you how do you stay with it? for so long okay so i mean that just felt really comfortable that that whole like phase in my life started with the the band kids that i was hanging out with right so um there were just like a group of kids that they were in band with me and i'm talking about like high school like marching band yeah um but they also had like a band and that not a lot of kids in holly had that right holly was like nowhere and so that really started hanging out with them and they kind of opened the doors to bands that led to the more obscure bands, right? And then I started hanging out with some of these kids who had their own band and I'd go to a lot of local shows um, and I'd be just like essentially hanging out with them and they'd be listening to these other things and I was like, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? Um, And then just really kind of learning about, uh, I guess at the time we'd call it the scene, quote i'm doing air quotes the uh-huh. scene yeah. um and 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 watching movies like high fidelity and empire records and just feeling like that was my place like yeah. that is that's it just felt like that's where i i need to be there i just essentially like fo- found this like space in the world that i wanted to exist that made me feel comfortable and i just existed inside of it and yeah. kind of like almost by osmosis just absorbed like the obscure bands that I listened to. And it was hanging out with these people who had their own bands and they'd go to local shows and they'd meet other bands and they'd listen to those bands and yeah. then talk about music with those people. And then I would just kind of absorb that um, and kind of keep what I liked and how do you, what I didn't like. And This is what I struggle with though. And especially I'm curious now, like mother of two children, like, uh, how do you stick with it? Like, how are you still discovering new bands? Not as <laughs> much as before, but, but yes. Yeah. See, that's crazy. We like, I guess, yeah, I find new bands, but I. Uh, it's, it's people. It's like, you know, asking. And my husband's really, like, he's still really into discovering music. Yeah. Like, he has the patience so is he a catalyst in finding new bands? Yes. Oh, yeah. And and talking to other people, like, hey, what are you listening to? Like, yeah. Well, uh, let, let's transition to that. Where do you meet Jeff and and how does that <laughs> how does that develop? Uh after I I broke up with Ben and then I dated another person who it was just a very traumatic uh, relationship. He was not ready for a serious relationship, but we were in a serious relationship. We were just at different times in our lives and tried to date and it was just like not going to work. And after we broke up, I was like going through this. It was while I lived in my apartment by myself and I was just going through this big struggle of like, who am I? And then um, I got to a point where I was like really comfortable being just alone. Yeah. And not in a sad way, in yeah, like no. a need anybody else yeah that's awesome. sort of way <laughs> and it was just like it was great i was like i'm by myself i'm very comfortable this is me things are looking up for me um and we were i was on tinder nice and we went on a date and i was like i don't i remember having a conversation with my friends and um i was like 
almost 30. And I was like, I don't want to date anybody with kids or anybody who's been divorced. And one of my friends was like, well, you're getting to an age where that really limits your pool of people. And I was like, what? Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) So up until that point, it was like an automatic no. If you have been divorced or have kids, no, 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 no. Yeah. Jeff uh, was divorced. Well, almost he was separated at the time and had a kid and i was like i'll go on a date with you because we've got a lot in common but fuck no <laughs> and we had a really great first date yeah. and that was so that was it so we met on tinder fun so you and jeff get married yep tell me about being a mother <laughs> oh god i mean what do you want to know I, well what does it look like coming into that relationship um with he already has a, a daughter, yeah, and then also having a child of your own. I guess. Well, I mean, backing up, I was ne- I never wanted kids. Okay. Like, and I mean, I think that all people go through, especially in their late teens, this phase of like, I'm never having kids. I'm never having kids. Um, but I truly never wanted my own children because I was so comfortable. I couldn't imagine like putting somebody before myself. Yeah. Even in a relationship, it was still all about me. Um, until, and it was like into dating Jeff that I decided that I would think about it. Like I was more open to the idea. Yeah. There was never like this, like, okay, I don't want kids. Now I want kids. It was this sort of gradually sort of opening up to that idea. Um, and at first it was very weird to date someone with a kid. She was three when we started dating. She was very young. Um, and I mean, it was fine because he was very responsible about it. Like I never, I didn't meet her until quite a while later. Um, he talked about her and he would like show me pictures. He was a proud dad, but he kept me away from her until he knew it was something that yeah. Because he was, you know, protecting yeah, her like responsible. responsible parents do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so at first it was it was almost like she didn't exist in it's, it's sort of my role with her. Um, and then after we she introduced her to me, it still didn't fully prepare me because he never put the responsibility of parenting onto me. Like I, I would yeah. watch her by myself, but it was more like a babysitting scenario. Um, and he always t- like took care of everything with her. Um so I don't know. So that it's like into being married too. That was the same kind of relationship, or mm, once we got well, the closer we got to marriage, the more involved with her I was. Yeah. Um, but it still was very much, and it still to this day is like he he just feels this responsibility yeah. to her. Yeah. And so I he, it, it's almost like we're buddies. And he's the parent in that relationship. Like, she and I are buddies, and he's the parent. But it didn't really prepare me for having children at all. Because I missed out on her her baby phase. And I never had to shoulder a lot of the, like, parental responsibilities. I did the fun things. Like, I'd take her for, I'd pick her up from school and take her for ice cream. Or whatever. Um, Your fun Aunt Aunt Amanda. Yeah. (laughs) And... Being a mom is so fucking weird. It's weird because you see a lot of the stuff, even when you talk to people 
they tell you all of the positive things, all of the good things, all of the fun things, all of the braggy things. Yeah. But people don't really open up about the hard things. And when they open up about the hard things, it's to preach about how people don't open up about the hard things. It's not like an actual glimpse of like how much of a mind fuck it is to have children. Yeah. It's really, really, really hard. And it's hard on every single level. Like, especially if you have friends who don't have children. Yeah. If yeah. you have friends who don't have kids, you you lose a lot of those friends. Yeah. Like, they just go away. And not because... It's it's just natural. It's just a natural part of things, right? It's like you're in a different place in your life than they are now. And they just kind of go away because you don't have time for them yeah. because you have a baby and they don't really relate to you anymore because your whole, it's literally your whole life gets. And there are a lot of people who are like, well, it's only that way if you make it that way. No, <laughs> if you're taking care of your kids, yeah. it's your whole life. Yeah. And it, it, there's no way to prepare for that. And it's really, really, really difficult. It's very isolating, very difficult and very rewarding and um, amazing at the same time. Um, how much of like, of what you're saying is reflective of, cause you just had another child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how, how long ago? June, the day after my birthday, June 12th. So he's two months old. Yeah. yeah. So how much of what you're saying is reflective of like your experience right now? Because you're, I mean, I don't know how this worked out, but I know so many people that have had kids during the pandemic. Well, I mean, you know. Um, no, I'm saying like they were pregnant before the pandemic. Yeah. And then, um, and then some got pregnant during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, but like what I mean, what when you mentioned isolating and stuff like that, I imagine it's like tenfold. It's tenfold, but it's uh, at least for me, uh, like I got pregnant during the pandemic yeah not before um and so i think the isolation from my first kid and the pandemic prepared me i feel more comfortable with the isolation this time and i think that that's because i had been through it before and because of the pandemic like like there's nowhere to go even if we want to go yeah so um, with my first kid, we, we kind of like, he, he slept a lot, babies sleep a lot. So we just like, we'd go out to dinner and he'd sleep in his, in his, uh, stroller and we'd just like, but we had like my, the baby hasn't been anywhere. Yeah. He has, he's two months old and he hasn't been outside of the house other yeah. than like to be in the car to go to the doctor's office. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't feel as isolating this time around and... I lost a, a lot of my friends after the birth of my first son. Uh, my core friend group, I don't talk to any of them anymore. That's and that, I'm... yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Just like circumstance or was there an actual falling out or a little of both? It was a little of both. We we all were going through different things. Yeah. I, I don't fully know exactly. It was like a... There were like events that led up to it and I don't know what their thinking was or their thought process behind it. But essentially from my perspective, just felt like they just disappeared. Like there was there, there was just like this gradual sort of like they don't talk to me anymore, but they all still talk to each other. There was a lot of stuff going on 
kind of now thinking about it leading up to that, yeah. that felt really sort of like a distancing. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I speaking as, as someone that doesn't have kids, yeah. like one of the last fucking people in our groups of friends that don't have kids, um, it, it is a little weird sometimes. And I know I'm, and I don't want to like bring Erica's perspective into it because I don't, you know, I don't want to speak for her, but like yeah. when you're not a mother and everyone, all your friends are mothers and all they're talking about is things relating to that, mm-hmm. uh, I think that can be. Yeah, like a little, a little off-putting or isolating. Uh, yeah. Because. Oh, I, I can imagine. Um, but it's I, I just wonder, like, yeah, I when my friends get pregnant and like have kids, I think I stay a little bit at a distance because I'm just like I don't know what my place is here. Yeah. Uh, especially when I was drinking, because like, then that whole thing's off the table. Like, oh, we can't just get shit faced at your house now. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then I got to like figure out what does that look like then? Yeah. Uh, so I wonder like how much of that played a role and, and how much, I don't, I don't know, but you, to cause a, you talked about isolation yeah. and now you're talking about, you kind of lost your friends at yeah. the same time. So, well, I think that it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I think the parenting thing kind of almost was a catalyst for it to happen, Yeah. but I don't think it was the reason that it happened because two of my the core group of friends were mothers too, and they all stayed. Gotcha. So it was like a, I was already kind of distant because I was like fully like participating in this parent thing. Yeah. Um, and so there was that distance and then they just, it was just like they were gone. Did you have like any postpartum depression or anything like that? I, I mean, I've always had depression. Yeah. And so I didn't look at it. Yes, I definitely did feel that, but I didn't think of it as postpartum depression because I'd always had yeah. depression. It was just like an extension of that. Just... I had postpartum anxiety, which I didn't even know was a thing. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> it is. And it's buck wild. It's like very irrational anxiety. Like I remember going to the grocery store with Everett and I wouldn't let go of my cart to grab something off the shelf because I was afraid that someone was going to come in and steal the cart and him. So you were afraid of a kidnapping? Y- yes. <laughs> Okay. All the t- like stuff like that. It's wild. It's what happens when you grow up in the eighties, and they tell you everyone's going to kidnap you. I know. Um, yeah, I, I and I just asked that because I've seen that, and I don't know if it's just like in my circle, but I've seen that kind of publicized more, like the yeah. the struggles that do happen after you have a kid that aren't talked about, right? Yeah. Like our parents, I feel like didn't really talk about, uh, you know do you feel that connection and like how do you feel like not a good mother if you don't feel that connection and like and anxiety and, and depression and and the stuff that happens afterwards that yeah doesn't really get talked about um very often it doesn't and yeah and i felt it this time around too and i think a, a lot of it i chalked up to the pandemic right yeah uh, because that's left all of us feeling like a little anxious super weird <laughs> yeah um but there's this whole, like, you feel like, a f- like, I felt like with Everett and with Holden, a feeding machine. Like, that's all I exist is to feed yeah. and change this the poopy diaper because that's all you're doing the whole time. Identity There's, crisis, kind of. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I literally don't ever have time 
for me. Like I got to take a shower today and it was like, yes. <laughs> Do you think that's why you like sometimes have the longing feeling for the time in Chicago and the time oh, when yeah. you're like in Ferndale on your own? And... Yeah. And then you feel like a bad parent because yeah. you are sort of longing for the time before that you had kids, yeah. the time before you had kids. And um, that makes you feel like a bad parent because what's put out on social media is like, I love, I love my kids. I love being a mom. Being a mom is so cool. Yeah. Being a mom is so great here. This is my highlight reel of being a mom. But, um, and then, you know, so you see that and you see all of these people loving motherhood and then you feel this, I wouldn't trade my kids for the world and they're amazing and they're incredible. But at the same time, like I really miss being able to just like, yeah do shit yeah and I, I think there's something to be said about that too because uh you know and this is common knowledge in like i don't know any therapy circle where you'd like you being happy as a as a person and knowing who you are is going to make your kid's life better right yeah um and you have to make sure that you and this is all coming i'm like mansplaining this without a child yeah. uh but you know it is i i do enough reading and stuff to where i think i I'm confident saying like you have to have your own identity as a person yeah. um, outside of being just a, a mother and that's going to like help you lead a more happy, productive life that's going to reflect on how your children are happy and productive growing up. And that's helped me detach a little bit because I want my, especially because I'm raising boys, yeah. um, I want them to see me not just as a mom, but as a person. So I want them to know, I want to do enough things while they're little for them to be able to say, this is what's important to my mom and this is what she likes. Yeah. And um, this is what she stands for and these are her values. Even if that doesn't come right away, looking back, I want them to know that I was more than just a mother. Yeah. Um, but I kind of want to go back to something that we talked about before it's kind of coming all the way Full around circle. now. Right. Because <laughs> I talked about it with my therapist a little bit, this idea of like grieving, you're still there physically, but grieving the loss of a different person. And so one thing that I talked about with my therapist a lot is like, you have to let yourself grieve the loss of yourself before kids. Yeah. Um, it's the scariest thing I think of when I think of it. It's, ter it's terrifying. And to kind of realize that that's a process that you have to go through after you've already done it, yeah. after you've already had kids. And, like, you have to, like, let go of this version of yourself. Um, that's really hard. Yeah. It's really hard to understand it in that way. Um, but it's also kind of a relief to know that that's a thing, right? Yeah. Because you feel all of these feelings related to that grief and you don't really understand it. Um, and you're made to fel feel like it's unnatural and wrong and you're a bad parent because of it. But essentially, that's what it is. Like, you're grieving the loss of, of your life before kids. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's a hard thing. I feel like it's almost easier to have kids, like, in your early, mid-20s just because you don't have that identity yet. And I I've literally had that same discussion with my therapist when I'm think when I, like, talk about having kids. I'm like, I either have to lose like parenthood as an option or I have to lose this like future that I <laughs> have planned as, as an option. Um, so if I have kids or if I don't have kids, I'm still going to lose something. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a bummer. Yeah. And I know that's a super pessimistic way to look at it. But, but it's, it's true. A, it's it's true. It's like the this is what you live with with them. And this yeah. is what you live with without them. And which one makes more sense for you? And which one, which version are you willing to yeah. kind of 
Except. Well, uh, I think I covered your entire life. Did I did I skip anything you wanted I think to talk about? So I mean, I feel like the most boring human on earth. Like, let's just. I disagree. Um, um. Yeah, that's that's pretty much me. Uh, I just want to. I I really do want to add this because I listened to this this morning and it kind of go, ties into the, this like battle between two. So, um, the latest episode of Radio Lab. I don't mean to like yeah. plug other podcasts, but this morning they uh, released an episode about the placenta, which. I mean, like, sure. <laughs> I, I I was like, whatever. I'll listen and to it's it. Nutritional benefits. Getting ready, but <laughs> it's like the way that it works in your body is actually really buck wild and a really good analogy for like being a parent. It's like okay. the placenta belongs to the 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 baby, not the mother. Yeah. And I think the guy that they were the expert that they were talking to, the doctor that they were talking to about this, described it as. Um, your body is at war. It's like more like a war and the uh, or a battle. And it's the baby versus the mother and the placenta is in the baby's corner, right? And the interesting. yeah, and the baby's or the placenta's job is essentially to grow the biggest baby it can. And the mother's job in the process is to not die. And I was like, Okay. There you go. That's exactly what parenting feels like. So here we are. <laughs> it's quite an analogy. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> thanks for coming over and doing this. You're welcome. Yeah. I'm glad we could we could see each other. And I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with my friend Amanda. You guys, I hope you got a lot out of that. I just really love how candid Amanda speaks about her struggles going into motherhood and the issues she has with her family. And I started this interview out so nervous and it was, and it was nice to kind of, you know, sink back into talking back and forth because we hadn't uh, hung out in quite a while. So that was great. And I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And it's crazy to me that we've only been going for uh, like two and a half months with season three. It feels like it's been so long and not in a bad way. There's just been so many amazing stories and we just have some really great guests coming up and I'm so pumped for you guys to continue to stay tuned and stay involved. If you're not already head over onto patreon.com slash friend request pod and become a patron. It's a dollar oh nine a month and you get uh, bonus content and shout outs on the episode. And I, I try to do as much for you guys as I can. So head over there if you haven't already patreon.com slash friend request pod. And you know, tell me what you think. Tell me what you want to hear. Say hello. And other than that, stay tuned because we just have so many great guests coming up. And I cannot be more appreciative of everybody, especially Amanda from this episode, for stopping by and chatting with me. All right, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you guys for listening. I love you so much. Goodbye.